Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. And we all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Sometimes the small stressors are the worst for me because I cannot stop thinking about them when I'm trying to sleep or when I'm trying to go about my day. I keep those little things bottled up and it can start to affect me negatively. Now, therapy is a safe space to get those things off of my chest and figure out how to work through all that stuff. And if you've never benefited from therapy, I think it's time you explore. I think anyone can be helped by going to a professional therapist. It's so incredibly helpful to get those coping skills skills and uh, deal with those stressors. So uh, if you're thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you got to do is fill out this quick, brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge, which I think is so important. Uh, so that way you find someone that you work well with. Now, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash everything iconic today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash everything iconic. I don't want to bore you, but I figured I uh, could give you a little update on what's going on. I recently found out that my contract as a housewife is not being renewed. Um, Of course, I could give you the standard response of, oh, we both came to the decision that it would be best. I'm not going to do that. That's not who I am. Everyone has a story. And we're no longer going to be following Teddy Mellencamp's story because she's been let go from the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino. We've got a lot of housewife loose ends to tie up this week. Of course, there was the Secrets Revealed episode of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. We also had part three of the Roni reunion. We're going to be talking about both those things. And I also want to mention after that, I have a special interview on the show. We have an interview with Christopher Lowell, who many of you might remember from the late 90s and the early aughts. He hosted a show on Discovery Channel called The Christopher Lowell Show and also Interior Motives. He's a daytime Emmy winner. And how this interview came about was interesting. I was in a YouTube spiral, as I often am, as I often find myself in these dark days. And I was looking at clips of the Christopher Lowell show because I used to watch it. It was a daily talk show. And he would give design tips and he would also uh, offer advice and inspiration. And it was a great show. There were these cold opens where he would dress in drag and do these funny uh, comedy bits. And it was just a very warm, comforting show. And I had posted a clip on my Twitter page and I'd gotten such a great response. It was like 25,000 views and so many people were writing me that they remember the show. And so I did look for this Christopher Lowell and I reached out to him and I said, hey, would you be interested in coming on the show? He really stepped away from the spotlight uh, in the early 2000s. And so it was so interesting and fascinating to talk to him about that that time in television and Uh, So I hope you guys will stick around. I really feel like it's a a great chat. So that will be after uh, this little mini recap of our housewives. So I mentioned at the top of the show, Teddy's gone. I thought her exit 
she did a little social media post about her leaving the show, and I thought that was really interesting. And she was very honest and open and upfront about the fact that they didn't offer to renew her contract. And we know in the housewives world, it's so rare. Usually they say uh, in a social media post, like, I decided to uh, leave the show. And we all know that they didn't decide to leave the show. Very rarely is that the case. So I thought it was great that Teddy was honest and open about it. And she's gone now. So that's it. I know last week on the show, I said we should stop talking about her because then maybe she'll go. And she's gone. She's gone. So we wish her well. And, you know, we wish her well. And I mentioned this on Twitter. I would like to just say uh, a nice, kind recommendation to Bravo if they are deciding to hire people who have connections to other famous people. You know, if they're kids of famous people or have any sort of relation to famous people. I would just like to encourage them in the contracts, they should write that we need to see those people on screen. We need to see the famous ones. Because John Mellencamp, I think he appeared maybe once, something like that, over the three seasons or however long she was on the show. We never got a Meg Ryan appearance, which I understand my queen Meg Ryan didn't want to appear on the show. I get it. But going forward, if somebody's going to get hired because of their last name, I think that should be written in the contracts. That's all I'm saying. I get why the famous person wouldn't want to come on this show. I get it. But if that other person's being hired because of their last name or because they are related to someone famous, then we need to see the famous person often. I'm sorry, or at least more than once over the course of four years. Do you get what I'm saying? Anyway, uh, what else? So the Secrets Revealed episode, I always love these. They're always a little bit weird, but we get a lot of light stuff. So we see a lot of the footage that they cut because it was maybe not important to the main storyline. But some of the stuff I wish was in the main season because I really liked it. I thought we got some stuff. There was one storyline where Diane Keaton, you guys, we got to talk about this for a second. Diane, motherfucking Keaton. Okay. She had been to a psychic and she posted on her Instagram, which by the way, Diane Keaton has an infamous uh, Instagram account. It's fantastic. So she posted this picture of this psychic she went to had these very long nails. And she posted on Instagram, Kyle Richards looked at it. And remember last season, Kyle Richards revealed that somebody had stole all her jewelry. Somebody robbed the house and stole all the goods, all her wares. So Kyle is scrolling Instagram, comes across Diane Keaton's page, who among us hasn't done that before. And she notices it's her jewelry in this photo of this psychic from the Third Street in Santa Monica. So Kyle launches her own investigation. And they cut this footage from the main season. I'm thinking, why did they cut this? There's a Diane Keaton connection. Kyle was doing some sleuthing. It was excellent. I would have loved to see this footage. And I think it makes Kyle look more fun. And we get a little uh, other side of her. Because this season, I didn't care for Kyle. And I would have liked to see her sleuthing. We maybe could have gotten Diane Keaton on screen. I'm not sure. But it was very, uh, very interesting. And I wanted more. And unfortunately, we didn't get it. But Diane Keaton, you guys, could you imagine her on the show? By the way, I don't think we talked about this, but did you guys see that there's going to be a Father of the Bride sort of reunion? They're calling it Father of the Bride Part 3-ish. And it's going to be on Netflix. By the time this podcast is out, it might already be out. But uh, it's going to be a little reunion that Nancy Myers directed. And we're going to have all of our main stars. We're going to have Kimberly Williams Paisley, who played Annie, Steve Martin, Diane Keaton, of course, Nina Banks. Uh, Nina Banks. Annie was Nina Banks McKenzie. Uh, and we're also going to get Frank. Hello! <laughs> we're going to get Frank. Netflix reunion, hello! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I can't help but do my Frank impression. I can't help it. It is what it is. Anyway, we're getting it. I'm so excited. I'm so 
over the moon. Uh, so everyone tuned into that on Netflix. And I hope it leads to like an official part three. They're calling this a part three-ish. And I feel like if we all watch it, maybe we'll get a part three. So let's tune in. Let's tune in. What else? We got to talk about the secrets revealed. Uh, anything else? Any other t- loose ends? They did go to an axe throwing thing. I'm glad they axed it from the main season because, quite frankly, I can't see another fucking axe throwing on a reality show. Enough is enough, Bravo. They've done it on every show, and I get it. You got to find new locales for these people to do things, but we've seen it. And every time they do one of these things, it happens at every show. Remember when they did all the goat yoga and they did the escape rooms and then the, that room where you go in and you break shit? It's like, enough is enough. I'm tired of seeing all these same things happen. Like, let's get something new. Go to a water park or, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There's got to be some other activities we have. I'd like to see them go into a garage sale. Let's see the housewives go into a garage sale. Yard sale, something like that. I don't need to see them going axe throwing again. I, if I see it one more time, I swear, I'm going to lose it. I'm already on the brim. We all are. This is dark times. A lot is happening in the world. And when I had to see that axe throwing on Bravo again, ugh. Guys, woo! Gonna do it. Enough is enough. Rina said something about how she needs your, you need your tits out, she said, to hit the bullseye in life. I just wasn't interested. I'm glad they cut it, but, you know, enough. This was also our last official episode with Denise, Denise fucking Richards. There was one point where they showed the kids were going to a chili cook off and uh, one of the girls was wearing a crop top to the chili cook off, and that just made me feel at home. I'm from Ohio, I'm from the Midwest. And just seeing Denise talk about a chili cook-off and telling her daughter to not wear the crock top, I really felt at home. I really felt like, you know, Linda Pellegrino, she, my mother, she, didn't, she raised three boys, so she didn't have any young girls to take, say, take off the crop top. But my mom did have to tell me a time or two to uh, maybe dress differently. Maybe <laughs> when I was younger, I think she probably thought, like, he needs to dress more mask. Um, but, you know, it wasn't happening. I was wearing a Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> <laughs> a denim Rosie O'Donnell jacket throughout my teen years. So uh, I'm not sure how much Linda loved that. Although she did love the Rosie show, so maybe she didn't have a problem with it. I don't know. You know, I'm not saying Linda's homophobic, but you know, it was just different times. It was different times. Linda's, uh, she's come around, she supports the gays these days. So that's all that matters. It's all that matters. Uh, oh, speaking of Denise, though. So there was this really dramatic scene. Remember in the season when she did the Bravo, Bravo, fucking Bravo, and she was trying to get that footage taken out? So they showed more from that. And there was this producer. So they were all at this dinner. It was the dinner with Lois, one of those episodes where they were trying to make Lois happen. And they were all at the dinner. Denise and Kyle were fighting about Denise showing up in glam or something like that. And the interesting thing was there was this footage that was cut where it was a producer who came on camera because Denise was trying to get the footage to stop. She said, I'm not filming anymore. She's like, you're going to try to make it look like I lied or something like that. And the producer comes on screen and he goes, Denise, we're not going to do that. And he was like, losing it. By the way, I'm not trying to do that. If, if no, that's what we were stop. Was... I'm stopped. Bravo, bravo, <laughs> bravo. I am not doing this, you guys. I don't. What do you mean? So. I need Chris, Colin, or I'm out. No, it's not a big deal. We can move on from that. It's a control thing. It's not just Denise Richards. It's Denise f-ing Richards saying, I can do whatever I want. I am a movie star. And if I don't want to do this, I'm not going to do it. You are doing this on purpose. I swear to you, I'm not doing that. I, Guys, honest to God. Denise, this is, Denise, you don't need to make that. This is so f-ed up. You worked in the morning and you came late. What we problem? know it. Don't worry about it. Get back to Are you to joking? Reality. I do okay. I already said they're not going to... Oh, gonna, my Lord. They're not going to... This producer had had it. He was definitely on the brim, and it seemed like they were probably filming for a while. 
And the producer's probably thinking, oh my gosh, now she's stopping and she's threatening to leave and we haven't gotten the scene done. It seems like it must be frustrating filming these shows. I can only imagine what these producers go through. And he came on screen, Denise, we're not going to show it! He sounded a little bit like a Shannon Bedore. A little bit like a Shannon. We're not going to show it, Denise! Like, you <laughs> got it! <laughs> he was really loose in it. He was definitely, you guys, I wonder how he's handling 2020. Can we get a SOS on Chris? What was that his name? Christopher Chris? We need to get a <laughs> SOS on Chris. Because he was really, I can't imagine how he's handling 2020 if that's how he handled 2019. Denise! Sorry. That's what he's Denise, we're not gonna show it like that. Like he was he was he was intense. He was intense. <laughs> SOS on Christopher. I uh, look, justice for Christopher, because I can only imagine this what it's like to film this stuff. You know, you're trying to think of these things for these women to do. You gotta send them to an axe throwing restaurant or bar, and then they don't wanna film, they wanna leave, they wanna control the narrative. So of course Chris loses it a time or two. Denise, we got it. He gets. <laughs> anyway, what else? Oh, there was a whole storyline about Garcelle's house and the wildfires. That was scary. You know, we had an earthquake about a week ago, and I, every time something like this happens in California, I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, it's one thing after the next. It's so scary. I can't imagine. We don't live in. We live close to the fires, but we don't live. There hasn't been fires like directly in the area that we live. But it's just so scary that it comes so close and you turn on the news so often now where it feels like it's dread. It's dreadful. And to see so many houses and families at risk and, and on fire, it's just it's just horrible. And I don't know. That was scary to me. Uh, like I said, though, we had the earthquake, though, and it's it, it was uh, midnight. The earthquake happened and I was just falling asleep. Matt had been in the other room and I sleep in my underwear and I I don't have the earthquake kit near my bed, but I was half asleep, and so it was happening. And I know you're supposed to like run to the doorway, and I do have an earthquake kit in like the hall closet. But after this happened, I'm like, maybe I need to like have something under the bed or something because I was literally just in my underwear and I didn't know what to do. I was so overwhelmed. I ran to the doorway and and I like carried the sheet with me. It was like just the sheet. I felt like Nicole Kidman in Batman Forever, you know, when she's just in that sheet in her underwear. Um, except for I didn't look as good. Uh, but sh- I ran to the thing in my sheet, and I was thinking, if this was the big one, like, what, what the fuck would I do? I'm just going to have this sheet around me the rest of the time? Like, I need to be more prepared, but it's also scary. It's also scary. And I know we're, this is our time to just relax on this podcast and, and talk about nonsense like Father the Bride and older ladies who are having fights at dinner. But, you know, it's a scary world out there. It's a scary world. Oh, speaking of scary world, we also had to do some more uh, race car work with Erica and Kyle. Hard pass on that. I'm not a car person, you guys. I've been driving the same car since literally 2006. Drove it in from Ohio, and it's still with me today. Um, but I'm not turning in t- uh, tuning into the Fast and the Furious. Bravo is really trying to make that happen, and I'm not interested. I want to see these women at a restaurant, and uh, that's it. I want to see them arguing at a restaurant, not driving cars, because they can't even get into big conversations in a car. When they're driving that fast, it's like, we're not getting any good conversations. Maybe some of you like that, but I'm not interested in seeing Erica behind the wheel of a car or Kyle pretending not to know how to drive stick. It's not funny comedy. We already saw Kyle on the scooters in Rome. How many machines do we got to see Kyle operating? What's next? They're going to put her on one of those cat uh, things at a construction site or something? I bet you they do that next season. You guys mark my words. I bet you they do that. 
Remember on um, Vanderpump Rules, they went to Las Vegas? I think they did on Orange County, too, where they do those um, those trucks. What do you call them? I should know what they're called. Those cat. You know what I'm talking about. Not an actual cat, but, you know, the cat machine. And I bet you they'll do that. They'll break some cars or something next season. We're going to have to see Kyle do that. Ugh. Ugh. I think everyone's coming back. We lost Denise and Teddy. I imagine everyone else will be back. I don't think they'll change the cast that much because... Although I think a lot of us were disappointed in the season, I personally liked it. But according to online response, it seems like most people were disappointed. But the ratings were good. So I don't think they'll change it much more. Uh, what else? We have uh, Rinna's daughter got the new apartment. And then, oh, uh, we got to talk about Sutton. So the episode ends with the Sutton birthday party. And I think Sutton will be back next season because they ended the episode, technically ended the season with Sutton's birthday party. And I think she makes a good housewife. She's best friends with Jennifer Tilly, which I'd like to see more of. Uh, she did, for her birthday, get a Dolce & Gabbana toaster. And that made me laugh because, of course, yeah, they mentioned on the show, she always normally gets a crown from them. And this year, she got a, a toaster. And, like, I don't know what you do with a designer toaster. Because toaster's an appliance that you put away. You know, on the, on the counter, you usually have out maybe a KitchenAid mixer. But you don't typically keep out the toaster but maybe you would if it was a designer toaster. But I don't know. That's the one appliance where it's like, I don't need something fancy. Like, give me the Walmart. Well, maybe not the Walmart brand. You guys, I did have a toaster blow up on me once. I'm not even kidding. This is not even a lie. I bought the super cheap toaster from Walmart. You can't buy too cheap of a toaster. It's got to be, you know, it's got to be over $10. You know, on Black Friday, how they offer the toaster, like the Walmart and Target brand, they'll offer it for like $3.99, you know, $3.99. Well, one year when I was uh, just out of college, I bought that one, you know, and it did blow up on me. And no joke, just started a big fire in the kitchen. Luckily, I had the extinguisher. But so you do need a toaster that's like, you know, mid-level or at least more than $10 and not on sale. Uh, But I don't think you need a designer one. It's just not necessary. What are you going to, who's even going to see it? And how often do you have people over for toast? You know, I get if you have people over and maybe you pull it out of the cabinet and you set it down, you make someone toast, but no one's, Sutton's not inviting people over for toast. So to me, this goes uh, unused. Now, maybe if it was a toaster oven a la Sonia Tremont Morgan, I would get it. I would get it if it was a Sonia Rita toaster oven. But this was just a traditional toaster, so I just don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. Did I just talk like five minutes about a toaster? Unclear. Anyway, uh, what else? Denise, oh, Sutton's party. It was revealed that she has a mom named Reba, which excited me. I love a Reba. And Sutton got drunk. She was playing with everyone's hair, and she blew out the candles. It was fun. It was fun. I liked this episode. It's, it was kind of all over the place, but that's what I love about the Secrets Revealed episode. Which Kyle, by the way, in the episode, she, she said something about, like, Secrets Revealed. It's more like uh, the shit we thought we got away with. And, I don't know. Sometimes when Kyle does the jokes, I get She's not a comedian. And that's abundantly clear. Uh, that's uh, the Beverly Hills Housewives, you guys. We made it through the season. I can't believe it, you guys. We made it. We made it, and we're almost through Roni two, Roni reunion part three. I got to mention, Leah signed on. There was some talk about whether or not Leah was going to come back because she wanted a pay raise, but she did confirm that she'll be back. And I read in page six that she got a a bump to ten thousand an episode, so she was making allegedly three thousand an episode. She got bumped to ten k. Which still, you guys, seems like not a lot to me. I'm sorry. I don't think that's a lot of money. 
I mean, it's a lot of money for like me, but it's not a lot of money to be on a hit TV show. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, and 3000 an episode before. What? She was making 3K. 3000 an episode. That's not a lot. For all that she did, she was throwing the tiki torches at Ramona's house and she was fighting with everyone. And she only got 3000 an episode. Come on. And now she's making more, but I wonder what Ramona and Lou are making. And uh, Ramona's back, too. She confirmed she's back. I bet you the cast will be unchained, uh, unchanged other than Dorinda. And Dorinda, by the way, was announced that she's working with Bethany. So Bethany gave an interview, I, I think it was Entertainment Tonight, maybe, or Entertainment Weekly. Uh, she said that she's going to be working with Dorinda on some capacity. We don't know exactly what, but that was nice. I like their friendship. You guys, I want to tell a quick story about Dorinda, too, actually, because I know she's had a bad season. We've we've talked about it ad nauseum, our, our Dorinda, our dear Trinda, and I'm going to miss her, and I hope she'll be back after next season, but who knows? You know, if they have a very successful season, they might not want her back, but if they have a flop season, maybe they'll bring her back. And I think it was a little bit of a mistake to get rid of her, although I do think that she could use the time off. And again, I want to iter- reiterate that I don't love the way she talked to Tinsley, and I thought that was totally inappropriate. And uh, she was definitely dealing with some rage issues, which I get, you guys. I, I think we're all dealing with some rage issues here in 2020. So, you know, I'm, wa- I'm watching Dorinda through a new lens. <gasps> Trinda. This reunion, I didn't think we needed a part three of, re- of this reunion. I think we could have done it in two parts. There's not a lot of ladies, so there just wasn't a lot to get to. There was a funny moment where uh, Andy said, I don't know who he was talking about, but he said something like, Christina from Idaho said, Sonia, what's with the fascination about catching dicks this season? (laughs) That made me laugh. I don't think it was Christina from Idaho, but it was someone, Andy, you know, when he takes those fake questions. And that made me laugh. Also, it was revealed that Ramona carries around a fake Gucci bag, and they showed footage of her with the fake Gucci. That made me, oh, that made me laugh. Uh, and then I know we talk a lot about Ramona's girlfriends, about having the 50 girlfriends, which I don't really care about. And Sonia tells her, like, well, what's it going to be like when we're doing a two-for-one martinis at the burger joint in 20 years? You're not going to have those 50 women. And she's right. you got to have your ride or dies. It doesn't matter on quantity. It matters on quality. And so I would rather have Sonia by my side. Well, I'm loving Sonia now. You guys, I did a quick turn on our Sonia. I wasn't caring for her during the season, and now I'm obsessed with her, and I love her. Uh, she had a great, a great season, and they also talked about Ramona calling her fat too. And there was this weird exchange where Ramona was like, um, "I, you know, needed to tell you what, what if a girl, good girlfriend can't tell you you're fat, then they're not a good girlfriend." And then Sonia said something back to her, "Where you're looking up right now." And Sonia was talking, and I, they were talking over each other, and I couldn't even understand what they were saying at one point. They subtitled it, and I couldn't see what it said. It was very confusing, um, but I heard Sonia say something crazy, and I'm not even sure if I heard it right, but uh, I'm not even going to repeat what I thought Sonia said. But it was a lot of talking over each other, as these reunions are. They talk about Elise for a moment. Ramona said Elise is a black widow. She said Elise wanted to come on the show, and she thought she would. Ramona would uh, have... Elise have her back, and then Elise turned on her. Andy said, is she the Barbara Kay of this season? They talked about Barbara. Bullet Babs, they talked about her from last season. Oh my god, I got chills. And then Andy asked Luann if they're friends anymore. Luann said no, and that was Barbara's doing. And then they showed that flashback of Barbara just saying, you're not Adele, Luann. And then like that's what Luann ended the friendship over. I don't know. I thought Babs was like not mean to Luann. Like, I actually thought that Barbara was 
overly nice to Luann. Like, she wasn't very hard on Luann, and Luann was so rude to her on camera. So that was shocking to me, and I, I don't, I, justice for Barbara, justice for Babs. What else? There's a package about Sonia and her fashion brands. Oh, did you guys see Heather and Carol uh, talking about Roni? So Heather has this new podcast, our Heather Halla Thompson. She had Carol Radzeville on the show, and they talked about their St. Bart's trip, and they alleged about a lot of, like, drug use on the show. It was a shocking interview to me. Go listen to it. It's Heather's podcast. I don't know what it's called. Probably something like Holla. <laughs> Holla with Heather T. Or hey Mama with Heather T. Something like that. I love her, but I don't remember the name of the podcast, but you can look it up. And it's a very interesting interview between the two of them. And they, this drug use stuff is very interesting. And I'm shocked they aired it. Because Heather's podcast is produced by Embassy Row which also produces Watch What Happens Live. So I was shocked that they just kept that in the podcast. But it was good and juicy. It made me want to keep listening to this podcast. I want to get Heather Halla Thompson on this show. You guys, I reached out. If anyone has an in, tell Heather Halla Thompson we want her on Everything Iconic. You know, sometimes people reach out to me and they say, why don't you have this housewife on? Why don't you have that housewife on? And a lot of them I reach out to. But, you know, unless I have a direct connection, uh, they don't want to. <laughs> I get a hard pass. So uh, I'd love to have Heather on. I want to have Garcelle on, too, to just talk about her film and TV career. I'm not even interested in the housewife stuff. Like, I want to talk about all of Garcelle's great career accomplishments. So anyway, what else? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if anything else was very important. There was a funny moment where, at the very end, Andy says, we're going um, we're gonna to tell each moment we would like to socially distance ourselves from from the season. And he also says, and tell me who you'd most want to hug. And so they all have this nice moment where they say, you know, I'd like to hug everyone. I miss hugs. I miss hugging too. So I got that. Uh, And then they're going around and saying which moment they regret or which moment they would like to socially distance themselves from. And the one that really stuck out to me was our Sonia Rita. She said, I'd like to socially distance myself from my prescription when drinking. And (laughs) oh, it made me laugh. Made me, gave me a good chuckle. It ended it on a good note. And uh, you guys, that's the Real Houses of New York. Are they having a, a shit they should have shown episode that next um, next week? I don't know. Unclear. Um, if this is the end of Dorinda, I'm sad. I'm sad about it, you guys. There, I said it. Uh, so with all that said, we got our housewife news. We got our recaps out of the way. Now I want to play my chat with Christopher Lowell. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this as much as I do. I thought it was a great conversation about uh, his time on television. And I'm sure many of you remember him. Uh, if you see him, look him up. Look him up on YouTube. I'll play a little clip. This was the clip that I found on YouTube that really got me. Because this was done in uh, the early 2000s. I don't know what year this was. Uh, this episode was filmed. Uh, but at the end of the episode, he sat down after refinishing a chair. And he gave us this little bit of advice, which I felt like is so timely still to this day. And I thought it was really revolutionary that he would give these little bits of wisdom in a show about interior design. And I was so impressed by that. And so it was great to chat with him. And I hope you guys enjoy this little clip and remember uh, remember this man and, and enjoy the chat I had with him. So I'll leave you with this. You guys, please find me on social media at Danny Pellegrino on Twitter and Instagram. I want to mention that uh, my holiday spinoff podcast is coming back this year for 2020. We all need a little escape. So I host a show called A Very Merry Iconic Podcast with my friend Jenna Brister. She's a writer for Lifetime and Hallmark Movies, and her and I will be breaking down a lot of holiday stuff. So we're going to be doing 
uh, Halloween movie this year. That's will be uh, that's going to be the first episode. Will be out right before Halloween. We're going to be doing a Thanksgiving movie, Pieces of April, with Katie Holmes. Which, by the way, that movie, Katie Holmes, she's wearing the most ridiculous wardrobe. But we're going to break it down, uh, and then we're going to dive into some Christmas movies. So we're going to be doing ten. Op- uh, I can't talk today. Ten episodes total. Subscribe to a very merry iconic podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts today. We're going to have a good time over there. And if you want to support all of these podcasts, all of these ventures, go to patreon.com slash everything iconic. And if you donate $4 or more per month over there, you get access to the bonus episodes. I'm doing one a month and I'm recapping Sex in the City over there. One episode per month. But more importantly, the money helps to support this show. And we also have our Everything Iconic store, which is everythingiconic.store. You get t-shirts, wine glasses, all sorts of stuff. So with all of that gross business stuff out of the way, please enjoy my chat with Christopher Lowell. Bye, guys. All right, I'm sure a lot of you out there can relate because every time there's a commercial break and I'm watching one of my shows, I'm always hopping on the Redfin app or website because I just want to check out real estate listings. Like, I love checking out real estate listings, even for the houses that I cannot afford. It's my favorite app to use Redfin. Uh, I just got a home, of course, but it was a pretty stressful process. And if I would have known how easy Redfin was, I think it would have helped out a lot. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. See something you like? Well, book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process, making it so easy. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents with a listing fee as low as 1%. Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards your next home. Now, that's a great thing. I love using Redfin. I love checking out. If you're buying or selling a home and you need some help with that, check out Redfin. Download the Redfin app to get started. Well, 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 well. That is our show for today. That is our global warming show, I should say. You know, it seems that even in this day and age, we tend to gravitate towards the influences of other cultures. And yet, oftentimes, the people of those cultures, because of their differences, are difficult for us to understand. You know, the world is becoming a very small place. Technology has put globetrotting at the end of our fingertips. As we begin to embrace the artifacts and creative artistic ideas of these cultures, perhaps we might want to take a moment to begin to understand the people there and to understand that we can learn as much and be as enriched by people of other countries as well as their stuff. So let's make a conscious effort to embrace our differences, celebrate the uniqueness between our cultures, and learn to be fascinated rather than judgmental about customs and cultures we may not understand. Okay? Next time you look at an object, think about the people. You can do it. Christopher, how are you doing today? I'm doing terrific. Nice to be with you, Danny. I'm so excited to chat with you. We have a a little Solon connection. I'm from Solon, Ohio, and you um, it did some work in Northeast Ohio as well, so I was super excited about that. Yes, I sure did. Just a few moments away from Solon is a wonderful little Courier and Ive style community called Chagrin Falls. Love the name. Right. Anyway, that's where I opened up uh, my first shop in the process of putting together a pilot for what became Interior Modus and the Christopher Lowell Show. So I owe that area of Ohio a great deal of thanks. Right. Well, you know, it was interesting. I had been in a YouTube wormhole and I was watching just clips from the Christopher Lowell Show, which I remember watching 
uh, as a kid and just uh, really being attracted to the show. And I posted a clip on my Twitter page and the amount of response of how many, uh, so many other people had a similar uh, connection to your show and particularly young gay men who um, were young and watching this show. Have you noticed that it had a touch people in a certain way? I don't know if that make, question makes any sense. Um, actually, it makes incredible sense. The reality was, is that the entire goal of the show was not to actually teach interior design, but to teach self-esteem. And no place is better than to trial and error your own and unbury your own personal creativity than under your own roof, where mm. at least you feel somewhat protected. So w- the nature of that show was designed to get people basically up off the couch, move it around a little bit, and kind of begin to experience the feeling that they had more power to make change um, than they really thought they did. And so, literally from the second week we were on the air, we were the highest rated show Discovery had ever had. Um, And I would imagine that based on literally the thousands of emails that we got every single, well, week, really continued to tell people, you're really inspiring me, I'm I'm taking control, I'm learning a lot from you. So the, the message went far beyond interior design, and it was really about getting in touch with your personal creativity. That was mm-hmm. really the key point of the whole show. When I would go to book signings, one of the things I love seeing so much is I would see the people in the lines... Would be from every walk of life. You'd see an older woman in a Chanel suit standing right. in front of a tattooed guy with piercings, you know, mm-hmm. and a housewife, you know. So I think the common denominator there is that we were trying to put a message out there that said, hey, you know what? You can do it. Just, just start experimenting. Right. And I heard from people who were watching the show with their grandmothers after school. And uh, you're right. It, it was cross-generational. And yeah. also, I had read on your website that it was very much an early foray in TV into the spiritual sort of realm. Like Oprah, of course, started to do the meditation and, and spiritual discovery yeah. on her show. But your show was uh, much earlier than that. And so it was interesting to me. I, I never thought of it in that sense that you were really, in a lot of ways, ahead of the curb on that. Well, it was interesting. I mean, it it, it was kind of a, f- a very fast-tracked um, time between the time I um, put the original pilot out there and the time we went on TV. I was literally on TV within months, which is pretty unheard of. The Discovery Channel saw our initial first pilot, and in that pilot, they saw a, a um, compilation of three years of us teaching creativity um, using the home arts as the focus, and in that vi- in that video, they were actually able to see women literally transforming both emotionally and physically in front of their eyes. So they really weren't quite sure what to do with it, but they liked me on camera as the host, and they saw the power in it. So God bless them. They took a big risk, and I think primarily it's because they didn't want anybody else to get it until they figured <laughs> out what it was, you know? Right, right. But- and and once the show was running, was there any pushback from the network, whether it be about the spiritual aspect or, or anything else going on? Did you ever have arguments with the network about things of how you wanted the show to go? Or 
Well, you know, we were fortunate that we were able to kind of graduate 3,000 men and women who came to take the, the, the classes through the shops. So we really kind of felt where the pulse point was. What's too preachy? You know, what's not? We found that humor, of course, was the best way. You get them laughing, you get them laughing at themselves. Um, and then you sneak in with the Velvet Hammer um, and make what they're doing um, relative to other choices they make in their lives. So we really had a pretty firm barometer about the language we wanted to use, et cetera, et cetera. Now, having said that, like a lot of networks, you know, they they approve and they fund your programming, but a lot of times they don't watch it. <laughs> Do you know what right. I mean? So um, we would find uh, historically that the parts that the audience loved the most were the parts that the network wanted to change. Mm. But I was lucky... Um, and I happened to be in a moment in, in time where I was able to write, produce, and star in it. And I had the background where I was able to negotiate pretty well with the network brass. And we, in turn, educated each other. So it was a, you know, I, I was literally having to reinvent that entire category because up until now, it would it had been kind of pipe cleaners and paper plates and, mm. you know, loving hands at home and cute, cute fussy crafts and that <laughs> kind of a thing on one end. And then we had Martha on the other end, who at that time was still on PBS, restoring, you know, 18th century mansions on Turkey Hill, which mm -hmm. wasn't very approachable to anybody, you know. God bless her. Right. So because of my background um, in visual merchandising and marketing, et cetera, and as a creative director with a lot of media experience, I was able to say, look, I think we're at a moment in time where people are really hungry for um, the sort of the ins and outs because we're renesting in a whole different way. Mm -hmm. And they pretty much um, – left me alone because I knew what I was doing and I came in under budget and it was pretty turnkey for them, you know? Right. Right. You know, looking back, one of the things that I, I was so attracted to in the show was there was a flamboyance about you that uh, I think I not only recognized in myself at a very young age and wasn't able to kind of make the connection, mm -hmm. uh, but I also think it was very rare for television uh, around that time. Cause this was the late nineties, early two thousands. And yes. I, you know, I wonder what your insight is to that. Like, did you feel, I, I don't know if this makes sense either. Did you feel revolutionary in that way? Because looking back, it certainly was. I, I felt under pressure more than I felt revolutionary. Um, mm. the, the goal of, especially those comedy cold opens, which were really critical to the show. Right. Um, those who watch the show every day, if I dressed up like, like the woman, I was basically saying, honey, this is what you sound like. So when you're talking to your guy, you mm. know, you gotta be a little more focused. Um, I see. And that would kick, that would kick off the show. Those who didn't watch the show and only saw those cold opens in the press glommed onto them with and tried to make it a gay storyline which is exactly the opposite at that time than I wanted. I didn't want mm. that eclipsing a very universal, important message. So I was kind of stuck in the middle. If I didn't um, become um, overtly cooperative with the gay press, 
they um. thought I was trying to hide something. And if I talked too much about um, any other aspect of my personal life in in mainstream, it would under it would undermine the message. So, mm-hmm. and you know, at that time, you have to remember, it seems it seems unheard of today. But at that time, there was literally no representation of anybody different on television, especially in a daily show. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so that brought with it its own pressure challenges. I think one, one of the things that we tried really hard to do is I wanted that character to intentionally be as androgynous as I could possibly make it. We discovered when we were working in the classes and teaching, um, that it was important that the men and women felt universally comfortable Mm. And when we knew we were talking with the, the the man's wives, so to speak, it was better if they felt no threat at all um, mm. while we were being their best friend. And when we were working with them, we also wanted to be able to talk to them in a language that they understood, too. Mm. A lot of that was peppered with a lot of humor. So, uh, So that dynamic, we worked really hard to get on television as best we could. And in the early days, it was a little more difficult. As we moved into the Christopher Lowell show because of the success of the show, then we had a lot more latitude because our ratings were huge and we had become an appointment view and Discovery didn't want to break, you know, fix what wasn't broken, though Mm -hmm. they tried. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned kind of being the uh, woman's best friend. When you would go on these book signings and things like that, was it hard to to keep up that sort of energy uh, when you would meet people? Because it is, I would imagine, very draining uh, to have to be um, so present. Buddy, buddy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, it's very interesting. I mean, um, fortunately we would draw up to a thousand people for those book signings and they'd snake all around the stores. Mm-hmm. Um, and we usually held them where I had my own kiosks of pre-coordinated merchandise that they could afford so that um, a lot of them would, you know, come shop, stand in line, that kind of a thing. But because it was so evident to everybody that there was a lot of people for me to get through, um, they were pretty respectful in terms of getting their 30 to 40 seconds with me, but I would have them, I would have them sit next to me. I would look in their eyes and I would, I would say it was probably of all the work that I did, the most exhausting part, because it was really important for me that they felt that I saw them mm. and that they, they could tell me what they wanted to. But oddly enough, in the thousands of people, I mean, Six books later, uh, we did one every year. It was amazing to me that nobody talked about interior design. All they wanted mm. to do was tell me how the show changed their lives. So we knew this goodwill ministry of personal creativity was really catching hold. And that, honestly, while it was so exhausting, I would get back getting ready to do you know two shows a day starting at 7 o'clock the next morning from wherever I was traveling from. I would return back on a total high because I knew exactly who I was talking to when I looked into that camera. So we had a – the audience and I had a very special relationship that um, I tried to honor as much as I possibly could. And do you still hear from people all the time, I imagine, when you're walking around, you know, people recognize um, you? 
Um, I have lived fairly remotely. Uh, I would say the first couple of years after I left television, um, I was still kind of white hot. Um, and, you know, it was difficult to figure out how to acclimate back into a world where I could start pursuing other things um, without necessarily the Christopher Lowell handle. But I would find out that the Christopher Lowell handle ended up opening so many other doors for me to tell new stories and, and being moved on. I want to ask what made you decide to step away from television because it, it was, was at a, a yeah, it, peak of your it, career. Yeah, it, it literally was at the peak of the career. Um, a couple of things have happened. First of all, I had only planned to be on television for maybe three or four years, and I had no intention of being the host of that show. I had been training a guy for several months to play that role. Um, mm. But Discovery said, we want you on camera. And if you don't go on camera, the show doesn't go. So, you know, I said, well, the message is bigger than me. So yeah, that's how I got on camera in the first place, because I'm not somebody who courts fame much. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I find it... Um, pretty uncomfortable and in those early days it was a bombardment you know anybody who gets brushed with fame that quickly knows that it's you know you're suddenly under the microscope and because i was unusual looking i was a practically bald bearded guy on television who dressed up like women and then dressed up in overalls <laughs> you know mm -hmm. what i mean so there was a lot of curiosity about who christopher lowell really was um so in the course of that cycle, I kind of found that the idea of, uh, of controlling my own narrative beyond the Christopher Lowell show would take some real ingenuity. So what actually happened was that was the beginning of the first big economic crash. Mm -hmm. So I took a look at that and I said to myself, you know, I've done this for like nine years now. Um, I said everything I want to say about the American lifestyle at this point. And once this economic crash hits, a good 50% of my audience are going to be actually losing their homes. Mm. And I went to Discovery and I said, look, I don't want to be on national television talking about duvet covers, no matter how inspirational I am, when I know that a majority of my viewing audience is moving into motel rooms. Mm. So... I really feel that the entire world is going, is going to start changing how we live once we go through this devastating economic crash will be completely different because it's really the first time in over a hundred years that Americans are forced to reprioritize. I said, if I come back to television, it will be on the other side of that. And Luckily, um, as much as they did not want me to leave television, they understood that. And they realized that, you know, I could be of um, more help to them. So uh, I was used by them to do a lot of um, PSAs. You know, when 9-11 hit, my show was one of the only shows that was never preempted. And then I would come on and do live spots about personal creativity to kind of get you through the fear that you're having. So I, well, I Christopher, what was that like? Uh, I, I mean, of course, we all remember 9-11, but what was it like uh, going? What was in your head when you would have to go on live TV around that time? Were you 
I mean, I keep mentioning pressure, but what what is that like? Well, you know, it was it it, it was a epiphanic moment in my life that I will never forget. To be honest mm-hmm. with you. Um, I'd lived a long time in New York myself. I had friends who were living in New York. Um, I was very close to it in ways that a lot of people watching it from California were not. Um, But one of the things that I, when Discovery came to me and said, would you do some PSAs? I felt incredibly honored. And it was just more of a sign that our show was putting out there such a great Mm -hmm. vibe and that we had a calming influence on people in the center of everything else going on. Um, And I had already booked a major personal appearance at a stadium that was supposed to happen, that was supposed to happen literally four days after 9-11. So everybody wanted me to cancel it. Nobody wanted to fly. Everybody was scared. And I said, oh, no way in hell. I'm going. (laughs) Um, and it was a, a weird feeling. It was my manager and me in, in a completely vacant 747, <laughs> wow. um, which was very scary. Um, right. However, when I pulled into the parking lot, expecting really nobody to be there because everyone was told, you know, not to gather and all sorts of things, um, I was met outside by f- four firemen in their yellow suits. They literally picked me up on their shoulders and they marched me into this arena to a standing ovation. Wow. And when all of that was done, we all took a big breath. I had tears in my eyes and I said, all right, so what do we do now? And it ended up being one of the most amazing uh, um, 90 minutes with an audience I have ever had. So it was a blessing to be able to be part of that project in that way, you know? Sure. I think about it, especially now in the times we're living in, just how much people are craving a release of some sort. And, you know, we're so bombarded with the news, whether it be on social media or when you turn on the TV. And I find that myself too. It's like, I just sometimes need something else or someone to tell me things will be okay. I will tell you in the last, I would say six to eight months, the amount of mail that we have received through our portals has been um, staggering. And people are saying, Christopher, what do you think about this? Christopher, what do you think about that? And then there's a, 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 a lot of people who are saying, gosh, you know, you used, to, you used to talk about the day would come when we'd have to live more intentionally and really rethink our lives. And I, you know, I still hear your voice in my head. And what can I do? Um, and so... One of the things we are trying to do is um, create a new um, group of programming. They are five to seven minute spots that will be broadcast during the news cycle. And the whole point of them is to help people while we're while we're all basically hitting the pause button to really take a look at their lives and then to help them navigate how to shop safely by being armed uh, with, here's a couple of tricks that you need to know to expand your living space and really start taking your home a little more seriously. So it's how to mix with humor, mix with a political under message that it's not about sides, it's about safety. Mm-hmm. And um, it's also about self-empowerment because our homes, especially right now, are the only thing we really have any control over. So I think more people are looking at 
their homes because they're forced to in completely new eyes. So the mm-hmm. resurgence on our web traffic has been off the charts. And your website is what? Christopher Lowell uh, is at home? or Yeah, ChristopherLowellHome.com. You can also go to ChristopherLowell.com. It will take you there as well. You know, watching some of those clips I mentioned on YouTube, it was so amazing to me how many of those messages that were in the episodes or at the end of the episodes that still resonate so much today. The one that I specifically had posted online was about uh, you were saying when you bring art into your home or you bring different items into your home, think about the cultures and people who have created those items and not Mm -hmm. just the items. And it was just so profound to me because I think it's like the message that we still need to this day. And this was, I I don't know what year that specific one aired, but it was amazing. That was kind of of a common thread. I used to write those, those, those show endings live. So um, while everybody else would be having their lunch, um, I would be in my dressing room at my computer writing my sign-offs for the day because I wanted them to be as current as possible. I wanted them to to bring the intangible idea of creativity and design back to a human place talking about change. And that's, you know, by the way, that ending was one of the things that Discovery wasn't crazy about. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So we have to say, sorry, kids. <laughs> yeah. That that stays, you know. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing, and there were uh, multiple endings just like that where I was watching it in this 2020 and saying, "Oh my God, these lessons we still haven't learned." And and I often find myself in sort of these YouTube wormholes. And I was a big fan of the Rosie <laughs> O'Donnell show, and I remember yeah. I was watching clips from that where she was interviewing certain people and saying. Uh, you know, even like there was a Tom Selleck interview she did, and I'm like, oh my God, we're still having these same arguments today. Yeah, it's interesting. Rosie and I had a very a very similar career tract. Um, she's a, obviously a big crafter as well. Um, but in her show was, was, as she says, had a lot of the same components my show had, mm-hmm. um, which was really, yes, we should have fun. We should be entertaining. Um, we don't have to preach and bring up conversations that become more about activism than about just feeling hopeful. Um, right. So we, 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 we kind of had a lot of that in common. And interestingly enough, I shared, as Oprah was ramping up, I began to share her audience as well. Um, at that time, Oprah was doing a lot of talking about a lot of metaphysics which was way beyond a lot of people um she unintentionally was making getting to our spiritual hearts and cores a little bit difficult for most people um and as my show began to cover um many of those same subjects instead of me saying you have to journal i'd say you know recover your sofa it was all Mm -hmm. the same thing and slowly um, Oprah began to open up a little bit wider, um, and she kind of found her way. So we we both tag teamed a similar audience for a long time. Right. And when you look at whether it be the talk show landscape or the interior design television landscape today, what do you make of it? Do you watch any of these shows now? Or well. I watch them when they come on the air, and then I check back with them in about a month just Mm -hmm. to see where their stride is. Um, But I don't really have to watch many of them because of the feedback I get from my website all the Mm -hmm. time. 
where people will say, have you seen this show? Have you seen that show? I think, interestingly enough, Scripps Howard owned HGTV for a long time, and HGTV was patterned after my show because I was the first to show that you could do a fun, entertaining how-to show and be commercially viable. Right. Um, when did HGTV come? I mean, they did- came on a, approximately, I believe it was like two years after I had already been on the air. And was there ever any, um, did they ever try to kind of poach you from Discovery or anything actually, like that? Actually, um, I was a consultant for them. Okay. They had come to me and they had said, if we took your concept and did it into a big channel, how would that work? Well, one of the first things I said to them is, be really careful. You do have to educate. If you don't educate and there's nothing being taken away, the audience will watch for a while as a voyeur, but they won't stick. Right. And oddly enough, over the years, that's exactly what happened. And so the feedback I get, I got from HGTV was mainly nobody's teaching us anything anymore. I'm tired of house hunting. What do I do about my home? I have, they, they never mm. talk about budget or this or that. So, I mean, I could honestly tell that the, that there had been some straying from there. And then ironically, just recently discovery, my home finally bought HGTV. Right. So, um, we'll see if that changes. I think, um, I think that landscape needs a bit of revamping. Yeah. I think people uh, people are getting a little tired of the reality show element. Um, a lot of chatting and um, about things that the viewer doesn't care about and getting down to some brass tacks um, takes a lot more producing and it's harder to do. We certainly had a um, really worked overtime to make how to fun and interesting and then make it relative socially and then make it relative to interpersonal relationships. It takes a lot of producing to not just do walk and talks and how to's, you know, you mentioned the teaching aspect and I, on Netflix, there's like the Marie Kondo show, excuse me, that I feel like a lot of people have really latched onto because of the teaching aspect. It's like, we're learning how to organize and yes, and the, the home edit even is, the, I think, the new one. Um, but yeah. yeah, there's these skills that we do want to learn that we're not getting from HGTV these days. Well, and I will honestly say that streaming has been the how-to genre's greatest gift. Only because people ter- already are tuning in to streaming with a specific interest in mind. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't watch a how-to show when you have everything else to choose from, unless you're actually already seriously interested in how do I make this, how do I bake that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So our familiarity now with YouTube, between YouTube tutorials and streaming, um, is really a much better format for um, the whole how-to industry in and of itself. Right. Okay, so what home designs uh, mistakes do you see people making today? Like, what what can we you leave our audience with? Uh, maybe a tip or something that that could help them. Um, they're making the same mistakes now as they made before. <laughs> <laughs> One sure. of the things is 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 in how to understand how to ch- the power of paint. Um, 
people get so used to living in a white, all white environment because they, they don't know what to do that the minute any color is introduced onto the, those white walls, they totally freak out. And going to a paint store and looking at 10,000 swatches is mind numbing. So one of the things we always said to people is, first of all, go to your wardrobe, take a look at your basics and your solid colors. Chances are, if they look good on you, you're going to feel good with them around you. And then understand the difference between a background color and an accent color. Your primary colors are basically your accent colors, which go into your accessories and your accent fabrics and all that kind of thing. But use paint as a way to completely reshape your entire environment. Two or three colors mixed beautifully from room to room can really take all the disjointed things that you own and make it a little bit more harmonious. That was one of the big things. And I also said to them, look, if you can afford it, paint your ceilings too, because that's, mm. once you introduce wall color to the walls, you're going to walk in and you're going to look up because it looks like there's a bed spread, a bed sheets, you know, spread over the ceiling. Yeah. So that, that's your, that's your fifth wall. I love that. I love that. Now, uh, spiritually, a lot of us are struggling right now, I believe. I, I certainly am during this time, and I wonder if there is any particular bit of advice you might be able to leave listeners with just kind of getting through this tough time. If they're listening and they're saying, I don't know how we can keep going on this way and and well, struggling a bit. That's a, that's a huge question. Sure, sure. Um, and at the same time, I can certainly say that we are what we believe. Um, I think right now we are in a moment where we are, where the line is becoming incredibly clear. Are we tolerant or not tolerant? That's very heavy for most people who have never really examined that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, this, is a, this is a time when we should be asking ourselves, what do I believe now, today? You know, mm -hmm. um, and the best way to do that is get busy and be creative because, you know, this is the time to, you know, get your house ready for the holidays. This is a time to, you know, tackle that closet that's full of all those clothings um, that don't fit you anymore when you thought you would miraculously wake up in the body of a 12 year old. You know, <laughs> um, this is a time to do some of that busy work because when our hands are engaged and we're hitting that pause button, that creativity is what opens up our souls and mm -hmm. it gets us reconnected in a much more human way, concentrating on how we feel about our own personal lives. What does quality of life really mean to me now? What have I learned about quality of life that I've taken for granted? This is the time to really think about that. So get busy, do something creative and creativity doesn't have to do with talent. That's another big misnomer that many people have. Mm. Talent, and I equate it like religion. Religion is splintered up into thousands of different denominators, and they're all brokering information out of the one Bible. Right. When the reality of it is, all you got to do is close your eyes and pray, and you're connected, okay? Well, talent does the same thing for creativity, and in a culture where we are obsessed with celebrity and we have all of these competition shows going, um, those people who don't feel creative are really just not talented, but every human is creative. Mm. It is, it, it, we, we brought it with us as part of our DNA. And we use it every single day. I mean, if you can get dressed, put your makeup on and drive in 
busy traffic, you're already overqualified to decorate your home because you're employing all of those things. You're just relegating this incredibly powerful thing called our personal creativity to mm-hmm. something um, that's not terribly significant, but the power of it can transform your life. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, amazing, Christopher. I feel like I could talk to you forever. It's such a delight. And, and watching those clips, like I mentioned, one of the things that's shown through is your empathy. And I feel like that's something that we're terribly missing in society today. And, and so yeah. I thank you. It has, yes. It, uh, lack of empathy is undermining so much right now mm-hmm. and understanding what empathy is and how it plays into tolerance um, is more than just adding a new label to who you are. It's really about just being kind period, you know, right. and it's hard to do that when we're raging and when we're mm. getting a lot of misinformation. So the, the bottom line is, you know, stop following all the news, right? Take a break. Um, Take a break. Decide what your truth is. And if you're if if that scares you because you haven't examined that for a long time, now's the time to do it. Yeah. Christopher, this was such a delight. Uh, what are you up to now? What do you want to leave people with? Anything else you want to plug or anything you want to say? Um, um, no, we will be you will be seeing me come back to television because of COVID um, to do a series called um lifestyle lab which you can read about more on my website um in which we will be showing you um how to get all prepared to shop with limited exposure in the stores knowing exactly what you want before you even get in there and hopefully it will do for people during the news broadcast kind of what the show did um for people who were you know needing a little self-esteem boost. So that'll be happening. Um, and in the meantime, I'm finishing up my seventh book called Right Size Up. Um, and oh, that that's will be exciting. Out, that'll be out sometime soon. Unfortunately, I had written Right Size Up before the last presidential election. Then I had to go back and rewrite the book um, mm. because I was foretelling the idea that something like that could happen. Mm. and why and then it did and so the then i had to go back and rewrite why it happened and how to prevent that from happening again (laughs) (laughs) right sure so it got it got stalled so i do that and then i i i'm also hired as a director to tell other people's stories that i think are interesting and innovative but people can always contact me through the website um and 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 there was one the last thing I didn't actually mention that I wanted to. Did you? How did you feel about the SNL sketch of you? It was Chris Kattan, I believe, was playing you. <laughs> yeah. What was that well, like? You know, it was early enough in the career where it felt like, oh my god, I'm actually part of the nomenclature now. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Um, I didn't really get it, to be honest with you. Um, I certainly knew some of the mannerisms that they, that they were spoofing. Um. So, you know, part of me was happy about the fact that that would drive more people to see the show, certainly. Sure. Um, and I felt like I had arrived on the pop culture landscape. But there was another part of me that wondered if that would, was doing a little more damage than good. But you know what? It's satire, and that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. You know, looking back on that time, though, it was like I mentioned flamboyance, and that was, scared people. In, in a horror, horrible way. I, I wish it didn't. But because of people like you, I think people got less scared over time. 
if that makes well, sense. Well, you know, we were trying to be really intentional about that. You'd notice that we'd be flamboyant and off the charts in the cold opens in the, mm-hmm. in the first part of the show. That was us saying, look, what I'm about to show you isn't brain surgery. You can do Let's this. have fun. Yeah, let's start laughing right now, um, and let's see how the show unfolds. But if you watch the arch of the show, you would watch that flamboyant character come right down to a very androgynous guy talking directly right to you on Mm -hmm. camera, um, where I was always breaking that third wall, and I talked to you like a friend. So that people could see that whatever you thought about this character had many facets. And I think that's what allowed us to be as strong in the Bible Belt in those days as we were on the coasts, because it was really about self-esteem. And I think as we move forward as a culture, we all need to figure out what our common denominator is. Certainly, flamboyancy is is going to, you know, be acceptable by some and not acceptable by others. I think those of us who are really focused on empathy need to also be empathetic to the message we're putting out there in the world mm-hmm. and how we conduct ourselves, you know? So, you know, there's, there's a portion of every sector that does more harm than good. Um, and I think it's trying to find that equilibrium where, where we can be acknowledged, where we can be... Um, in a way, um, honoring of um, the message that we feel that we have to say, we have more freedom to tell our stories than we ever have before. So I think as long as we're willing to really tell the truth and just say, look, my journey and what I've overcome and whatever prejudice I've had um, means that you're not alone. Right. but I'm still functioning. I'm still doing something. I'm still putting something out in the world that I do hope helps other people. And I think if that, if we can get to that equilibrium um, and get past this rage, we're all kind of feeling, um, I think in a weird way, COVID is instigating, at least historically, the idea of, of a real Renaissance in this country, even if it's only half of the people who experience it, you know? Yeah. Well, Christopher, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And I know a lot of people are going to be so excited to hear what you've been up to and and catch up with you a little bit. So thank you. Well, thank you, Danny. I appreciate it. love decorating the house and getting furniture, but sometimes it could be overwhelming to design a space. And so luckily, I'm here to tell you about a company called Cozy. Now, Cozy is fantastic, a North American company that thoughtfully designs furniture made for modern living. Now, Cozy strives to provide the best furniture shopping experience with elegant, super high quality products, plus fast delivery and easy assembly, which is really important to me because I do not like putting together furniture. So the easier, the better for me. Now, Cozy offers a beautiful, customizable sofas and sectionals that are made to adapt in time. This means customers can add seats to the sofas over time. Maybe if you're extending your family, you might want more space on the couch. Cozy also offers a great range of coffee tables, washable rugs, wall shelving credenzas, TV stands, and accessories so much. It's thoughtfully designed furniture made 
for modern living. There's an outdoor sofa and tables collection that is fantastic. It's called the Mistral. So you can choose the perfect sofa configuration for your outdoor setup. Uh, Cozy also opened its first retail space on Queen Street in Toronto to push the experience to the next level and allow customers to engage physically with the products. So transform your living space today with Cozy. Visit Cozy.com, spelled C-O-Z-E-Y, to start customizing your furniture today. Again, that's Cozy, C-O-Z-E-Y, dot com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm. 